Tech Canada Leadership Standard, hosted by Tech Speaker of the Year and branding expert, Gare Maxwell. Real life stories from leaders spanning the business spectrum. Now more than ever, leaders are shifting through significant decisions under accelerated timeframes with less information and bigger consequences for their companies, for their people, and for the communities that they live in. You're about to learn of the triumphs, failures, struggles, and disruptions through the first-hand account of an industry leader. Join us now for the Leadership Standard. An energy company out of Calgary, Alberta, is rapidly gaining substantial fame and notoriety as one of the best employers in the entire country. People are expected to work hard without being micromanaged. At Tundra Process Solutions, you can also show off your best Michael Jordan or LeBron James moves by tossing a ball into a basketball hoop as you pass by. There's an in-house DJ, an in-house chef, and there are informative speakers giving non-business related talks. It all goes with the oxygen bar and the treadmill desk and the wellness room where Tundra Process Solutions has created an environment, quite frankly, unlike few anywhere in the true north. Today we visit with the visionary leader behind Tundra Process Solutions, Iggy Domagalski, on this edition of the Leadership Standard. Hello, and Gary. Iggy, Thanks for having me. Well, it's great. <laughs> it, it's, it's just fantastic to have you here, Iggy. We've heard so much about what you're creating in a, let's face it, a very traditional B2B environment where people for generations have been expected to just show up, be thankful for a job, do their work, but you have somehow, somehow transformed Tundra into something else. And of course, I think anyone watching or listening would be curious to know, well, where did this idea all come about? Well, first of all, thank you for the extremely kind introduction. That was very nice of you. And you know, that, that's a good question. Where, where did it come from? And uh, Tundra's actually been around for, for 21 years. We were founded in 1999 in our founder's basement. And uh, I got involved in 2006. So uh, I've been there 14 years and it's, it's, been, a, it's been a great ride. When, when I first joined, the company was pretty small. We were about 15 people. Uh, and today we're around 170, uh, mostly in Calgary, but we also have offices in Edmonton and Grand Prairie and a few throughout the U.S. And I, I guess where the where the, some of the the fun culture kind of things came from is is some some came from me, but but really a lot came from our management team. And we all have a a pretty similar belief that if you spend half of your waking life somewhere, you might as well enjoy it. <laughs> and and there's a lot of the things that we do, you know they. They, they sound like they're like they're really out there, but they're they're all just simple, fun little things, and they're things that that each one of us kind of like. Uh, we, we do have a we do have some basketball games and foosball games and all sorts of games set up within the office because we like games, and uh, we provide lunch for our people because I like lunch, <laughs> and, uh, and so so we we try to do a lot of fun things just so that when when people leave the office that. They remember some of the some of the good things that that happened to them throughout the day, and that they really enjoy their time. So that's a that, that, that's how we got there, and it's a it's taken a lot of work to get there. That's for sure. 
Well, and that's, that begs the question, Iggy, is, is what was the aha moment? When was the moment you and your management team recognized, hey, we had to make culture a priority? Because the more I talk to CEOs and business leaders and executives, the more I discover they can actually pinpoint the moment of pain that said, hey, we got to do something, or the moment of inspiration where we said, hey, we got to take our game up another notch. What was that moment for you? Uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't really a moment of pain, fortunately. It, it, wasn't a, it wasn't an intervention or any kind of a moment where we realized that things were going wrong. I think it was, uh, it was just an acknowledgement that as we were growing, that we needed to really take a hold of our culture because we knew that if we didn't really think about culture every day and work on culture every day, that it would just become something. They're, they're, every organization in the world has a culture. And we knew that if we didn't aggressively think about it and work on it daily, that it would just blossom into something that we had no control over. So we, we really did our best to think about what we wanted and then pick the 50 or 100 little pieces that need to get us from not being there to being there and just doing those every day. So we were, we were fortunate that it wasn't a big, a big negative thing that drove us there, but it was uh, during a period of fast growth that we realized that we really needed to wrap our arms around this thing and turn it into what we wanted to turn it into. Were there any influences, any companies that you studied and you looked to for inspiration down this road? I mean, for many years, Southwest Airlines, for example, in the U.S., or, or Disney's been regarded as, as great examples, uh, shall we say, of, of what workplace culture is in terms of an ideal, but who were your influences or inspirations? That's a great question, Garen. I would like to take credit that we really invented everything that we did, but I can tell you that almost 100% of our ideas we just copied from other people. <laughs> there's, there's, there's so many wonderful companies out there that do things so well that it's just, it, it seems almost crazy to try to invent new things from scratch. But some, some of the things that we, that we really liked came from Google. Uh, Google, uh, and, and, and fortunately Google had a really great HR guy named Laszlo Bach, who basically took all of Google's culture and put it into a book called Work Rules and published it for the world to see. Uh, so we, as a management team, read that book and we, we, we implemented a lot of the ideas that, 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 uh, that Laszlo and, and his team implemented at Google. And some, you just, some, some of the Google things you just can't duplicate because they cost too much money, but a lot of things you can. And, and so we, we, we took some of those to heart. Uh, one of the main general themes that we, that we took to heart from Google and some other companies as well is uh, making life easier and bringing things into our offices that are people, they have to do them anyway, and they're, they're gonna do them on work hours anyway, so why not just bring them in-house and make it a little bit easier? Uh, a couple examples. We have uh, dry cleaners that come into the office every week and they pick up your dry cleaning bag and drop it off. It seems that whenever I was going to the dry cleaner that I went to, I was always going at the time that they were closed. And uh, so, so now that's, sort of a non-issue, it, it, it all happens at work. Um, people go for massages and they go to the chiropractor, and they use our company benefits to do it. And so we thought, well, why don't we just bring those people in? We, have a, we had a little room 
uh, just off the warehouse that nobody was really using. So our team came in on a weekend, they painted the place, made it look nice, put little Buddha statues in there. And, uh, and now we have a, uh, an in-house chiropractor and massage therapist that come in weekly and do treatments for, uh, for our people that are, that are all done through their benefits. And, uh, and that's just a nice thing where they don't have to go anywhere or do anything. They just have a nice little online portal that they can book through from their desk and walk one minute to the appointment as opposed to driving somewhere and going through all the all the trouble of having to get it done. And so, so we have probably about 20 different things like that that we do throughout our different offices just to make people's lives a little bit easier. And of course, the question that I think a lot of executives would be wondering right now, Iggy, is how much has this commitment to culture, um, you know, been forced to change or that you've been forced to improvise since the advent of COVID-19? Are there any secrets for keeping this culture alive in the midst <laughs> of the COVID pandemic? It's been a challenge. And I, I think every company's gone through that challenge. When we, when we look at our culture, uh, all the nice culture things, they actually aren't very expensive. They just, they just take time. And so all of the ones that we can still safely do, we're doing. Um, so we have, we have most of our people back in the office now and, uh, we're, we're located in the Southeast of Calgary in an industrial park. So two things that we don't really have to deal with is public transit because there is not very much public transit that comes to our office. So people aren't taking that they're taking their own cars. So there's no issues, uh, with, with social distancing on public transit and also elevators. We, that's not an issue for us either. So where some of our downtown customers, they're still, they're still at home because of those two things. We're not, we're, we're, we're able to have most of our people back in the office. And, and so we're continuing with some of the fun things we've had. Uh, we've had a few small celebrations for people's birthdays and various events, all physically distanced. Uh, we now have our, the, the, the massage therapist is back in uh, using all the, all the, all the, protocols that massage therapists uh, have to use now, now that, now that they're back in business. And so a lot of the, a lot of those services that we had are, are back on again, and we've, everything that we can safely do, we're now doing again. And, uh, and, and it's going really well. I think people are really appreciative. And for the ones that we can't do, people, people get it. We're still in a pandemic. You know, I, I can't help but ask as I, as I, listen and, and reflect on what you're saying is that I've heard it said, and I'm sure you have too, uh, Iggy, that beyond the brand, beyond the logo, you can have a culture either by design or by default. Uh, can you weigh in a little bit on uh, what has obviously been a very concerted effort on the part of you and your management team to create culture by design? Yeah, thank, thanks for that question, Garrett. It, I think as we, as we mentioned before a little bit, culture will just manifest itself. It will, it will exist. Every company has one and whether, whether you think it's good or bad, they, they exist. And if your leadership team doesn't take the time to really think about it and design it the way that you want it, 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 something else will just happen. And then you'll have to make a decision whether you like that culture or not. And once a culture exists, I think it's very hard to change it. We've uh, we've we've done some acquisitions uh, throughout throughout the life of our company, and some of those uh, some of those companies that we've acquired had different cultures. And eventually, uh, you know, they they 
came on board and started to embrace our culture. And, and we think we have a great culture, uh, but even then it still took people a long time to, to embrace it and really become a part of it. So if you, if, if you have a culture that as a manager, one day you realize that you don't like, man, oh man, that is a, that is a hard thing to change. And, it, and, it, and it's, none of the ideas are particularly revolutionary to create a culture, um, but they sure are hard to change once something is already there. So that's, uh, that, that, that's I think, where we were lucky. As we started to grow quickly, we just got on it. And if, if, if I were in a position that I had to change a culture or if we made a large acquisition and we had to, and, and we had to you know, deal with a larger group of people, I think we would, we, we would, we would use a business model that uh, one of my old business school teachers uh, always talked about. He said, the, the model for organizational change is gentle pressure applied relentlessly. And so I, th I think that's, that's how we would uh, attack it, just slowly bringing in each piece that we like very thoughtfully uh, and, and, and doing it every day and talking about it every day. And it's not just the fun stuff. I mean, the, the fun stuff is, is the nice stuff, but I think the, the real core of the culture is how you deal with accountability and how you, how you communicate with your people and uh, kind of more, more of the business things, I think are the actual more important part of the culture. Uh, but the fun things are, are a nice thing to have that keeps people smiling. You know, Aggie, I can't help but ask the obvious business question since you brought it up, which is how does this commitment to culture at Tundra translate into business results? Is there a way you can chart shall we say, a direct line between investment and culture and how it translates into uh, business results? Um, that's a good question. And uh, we, we've never looked at measuring the, the return on culture just because really it's so inexpensive to put in. So if, if, you're, if you're talking about actual dollars put into culture, it's, it's minimal. It doesn't really cost a lot. And, uh, yeah, and even if you took all of management's time and took their hourly rate and kind of said, how much time are they spending? Even then, it's still not a lot of money. And, and I think that we've been relatively successful. So if you, if you kind of took all your profit divided by the cost of the culture, I guess, uh, it would, the return would be incredibly high. But it's, just, it's pretty hard to, to link the, 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 the cultural investment to the final result. Uh, with that said, we, we've been pretty fortunate to be a part of uh, Canada's Best Managed Companies program for six years in a row now, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with our culture. So those, I, I remember before we were a part of that program, I would see the logos for, for Canada's Best Managed Companies, and I always thought, oh, that looks pretty cool, but, you know, it's, I've seen other awards, and they're not really that hard to get, and sometimes you just have to pay a little bit of money, and magically some logo appears uh, on, your, on your vehicles. But that really wasn't the case with this one. It's this one's actually really hard to get, and uh, and the qualification criteria is extremely challenging, and a lot of it is around culture. And I, I think having that that endorsement and that recognition that was something that uh, that me and my our management team and our whole company are particularly proud of because it's a it's an external validation that some of the cultural things that we're doing are paying off and and are and are being recognized and rewarded. You know, Iggy, I, I can't help but notice one thing that is quantifiable is uh, you are guesting on a lot of uh, very popular podcasts. I know that you're uh, frequently invited to speak. 
but what people may or may not know is that you actually began your entrepreneurial career at the age of 12. Tell us about your first <laughs> company at the age of 12. That is true. I, I'm just wondering where you got all these photos of me from. That's, that's some, some good research. <laughs> uh, yeah, so when I, I always liked business, I think even when I was, uh, even when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. My parents were both entrepreneurs. They ran uh, numerous businesses. They ran some retail stores and online businesses. So it's, I think entrepreneurship has always really been in, uh, in our family's blood. And, you know, I, I have a, I have a couple kids. I have, I have two twin daughters who are 10 years old and we talk about business and entrepreneurship and their 12th birthdays are coming up. So maybe they'll be doing something when they're 12. Uh, so it was, so, so my first business actually, it was, it was an online business when, uh, I mean, the internet wasn't really that big of a thing yet, but there was something called bulletin board services. So okay. you, you might remember those, Gare. <laughs> and, uh, and so so I had a computer in my house and I, and I bought this CD that had a bunch of software on it. It was, it was a freeware software, but it was licensed in such a way that you could sell it if you could get money for it. And, uh, and so I set up this, this service where people could uh, with their 2400 baud modem dial in to my bulletin board service get access to my computer and then download some of these files that i that i had bought and uh but they couldn't do it online so they actually had to send me a check in the mail first and then i would give them a code so that they could uh so that they could download uh download some of these programs and then i, I at the time i was into a little bit of computer programming so I programmed this code thing that would make it a little bit more challenging to steal the programs so that yeah that was my first business I mean I can't program anything to save my life anymore but that was a that was kind of my first taste of entrepreneurship was uh, was reselling software when I was 12. <laughs> but looking back Iggy this is the prehistoric days of the internet what would you ever sit back and wonder and think what would have gone through the mind of a 12 year old to figure all that out when, when let's face it, the business world was just getting used to the idea of dial up. I mean, you're talking way before like Facebook, YouTube and Google when all this went down. Yeah. And, and I, I really have no idea what was going through my head. I think it, it seemed like a good idea. I was really into computers at the time and, uh, Maybe I just had nothing better to do. <laughs> so I decided that this would be a good use of my time. I don't think too many, too many really smart, thoughtful things go through the mind of a 12 year old. I just, uh, I just knew that this was a cool thing that I liked and somebody, if they would actually send me a check in the mail, I thought that was pretty cool. And at the time I was into baseball cards and comic books and candy and I wanted to buy those things. <laughs> yeah. Anything to make a buck to get, to get those new upper deck rookie cards that were exactly. so valuable back then. Let's, yeah. let's talk a little bit, Iggy, about your journey, your entrepreneurial journey, but other than your parents and other than being from an entrepreneurial family, can you speak a little bit to your influences and mentors? Who were they and, and how did they have such a, a powerful impact? Yeah, absolutely. I've, uh, I, I, I think most business leaders have been pretty fortunate to have some pretty awesome mentors along the way. Uh, you know, my, my, my first one is my parents. I mean, they, they always supported me absolutely in everything that I ever wanted to do and helped me out along the way. And, um, and were, and were the people that 
that showed me what entrepreneurship looked like. Uh, so, so my folks for sure. And, uh, and really, really I've worked with the same mentor for pretty much the last 20 years. So uh, when I was in university, uh, there was a program started at a company called Investors Group, which is a large mutual fund dealer in Canada. And one of the, one of the top guys there, his name was Mike Miller. Uh, uh, he's still the chairman of our company right now and my partner and boss. And so uh, he, he started up a program called the Management Development Program where they hired people who they thought were, um, you know, people that had, that had a lot of potential and put them into this program, rotated them around, and, uh, and then at the end of that, put them into a nice senior role. So I was fortunate enough to be chosen to go into that program and worked with Mike there. Then he left and started another company, another financial company, and I followed him to do that. And then, uh, and then he decided to leave uh, again and, and to go out west to buy some businesses and asked if I wanted to join. And, uh, and so I said, sure. And so <clears throat> that, that, was, that was my adventure from going from, uh, from I, I guess, kind of more regular jobs uh, to more the, the entrepreneurial path where, where we started to buy some companies. And he was, uh, he's, got, um, he's got 21 years on me. So he had, he had a bunch of capital when we were starting and I, and I sure didn't have a lot. So I put in a lot of sweat equity. And, uh, and together, we, we, in 2006, we bought three companies. And then, and then from there, started to buy more and kind of tacked them on and, and created a few larger companies. And, and those are the ones that we, that we run today. So I've really been fortunate that I've been working with the same guy for pretty much my entire working career. Uh, we started working together when I was still in university. My, it was, I had a summer job at Investors Group, and that's when we first met. And, uh, and we still work together today and are, and, are, and, are, and are really great friends too. So he's been my, my foremost, my, my, my biggest business mentor. Um, and then in, in terms of other kind of help along the way, um, I've, uh, I've, I've used one-on-one -on -one business coaching, which, which, which I found to be really valuable. I'm part of a, it's kind of like tech, but it's, but it's a privately organized group. Um, so, so we don't have a, a paid chair, um, but it's a, but it's a similar format and, and the meetings are shorter. They're, they're once a month and they're, they're evenings. Uh, so there's, uh, seven of us in that group and we've been doing that for quite some time. And, uh, and then, and then we also use, uh, a company called results, uh, for, for coaching for our entire management team. Uh, and, and I found that to be really, really effective. We also use them for some of our younger leaders within our company. Uh, and so really, really effective and they do a great job. So, uh, so I've, I've had a, yeah, I've been fortunate to have some great mentors and also, um, have some, have some really great coaches. Uh, and peers that I can bounce things off of uh, when I need to. Iggy, we call this program the leadership standard because we're endlessly fascinated by the subject. So let's throw, the, let's throw you a baseball curveball, if you will, <laughs> maybe even a high hard one. How would you define leadership? Ooh, there's, I feel like there's so many more qualified people than me to give a good definition on this, but uh, you know, for me, it's, it's trying to get the absolute best out of your team and, and allowing them to flourish. And, and, and that's, that's what I really try to do every day. It's, it's unfortunate that, that we do have a really exceptional team at Tundra who know what they're doing really, really experienced. So they almost don't even need me. 
uh, and it's just my job to pull the best out of them and let them let them loose with with their best and just give them a little bit of feedback along the way and make sure they're pointed in the right direction. So I think, yeah, get, really getting the best out of your team and, and giving, them, giving them something to point towards so that they're not just running aimlessly. They say, uh, Iggy, there's no better teacher than failure. I haven't met anyone yet in a leadership position that hasn't utterly failed at something. So um, what's something you have failed with uh, or, or struggled with along the way? Oh, so many, <laughs> so many failures to list. Uh, there, there's actually a really neat event. Uh, it's called, can I swear here? I'm going to swear. It's called fuck up nights. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's, it's an event that's held in over a hundred countries around the world. And I first got introduced to it um, a little over a year ago. And I was asked if I wanted to speak at this event and, and participate. And to be honest, at first I wasn't interested because I just, I didn't like the name. I didn't like really associating with this swear word name. But when, when I was told what it was about, I really, really liked it. It's the, the idea of the event is that they bring business leaders and entrepreneurs in front of a group and they're, they're, they talk about some of their biggest screw ups, their fuck ups. That's why, that's why it's called that. And, and, and it goes to show that, you know, you know, and most conferences that you go to or any leadership conferences that you go to, people get up there and talk about the awesome things that they did because that's what you want to hear about. Um, but, but before all those awesome things happened, there was a lot of screw-ups along the way. And so I've, I've, I've spoken a couple times at this event because I've liked it so much. Uh, so one of those ones was, uh, I won't get into it because it was a 45-minute presentation about how I basically ended up getting sued by the city and almost bankrupt our company and, uh, and created a environmental disaster <laughs> so it was it was it was a it was it was a it was a big big screw up um it, it was it was it was actually an accident and and i don't think it was avoidable but it was uh you know we i think we took on a little bit too much risk in the way that we were running a certain business and uh, and so so that was a big one uh we've a few years ago we we created a business that we thought there was a customer demand for invested just a ton of money into it and it ended up being a, a complete write-off and we had to write off millions. And, uh, and unfortunately I have to let a bunch of people go. That was a huge, that was a, that was a big learning mistake. Um, so there's, th those are two particularly big ones. And there's been, there's been a lot of little ones along the way. It seems like every week we're, we're learning about something that we didn't do quite right, but I think the key is just to keep learning from them. And I think we do learn from most of our mistakes and that's what makes us who we are today. Which also uh, invites the question, Iggy, with, with respect to the uh, situation involving the accident and uh, the overestimating the customer demand situation, how did those experiences, uh, you know, serve, still serve Tundra today? In other words, how did those two examples make you a better leader? Well, those two in particular each taught me and our whole management team some really key lessons that, that really stuck to us to this day. So the first one uh, was, was around risk and, and, and how, to, how, to, how to value risk, how to look at it and how, and how to take it on. And, and within that, that business also, we, we didn't hire an experienced enough person. We hired a great person whose, whose intentions were really great, but there was just certain things that they didn't know because they didn't have the experience. And so that taught us that you really need it when you're hiring people for something new, you need that balance. You need, you need that 
super motivated, amazing person, but they need to know some of the technical things, whatever those technical things might be that are important in that business. And, and that's really stuck with me. Uh, and then the other one was around just around customer and market demand. But, you know, sometimes you think that there is a demand, but you really need to prove it and prove that there is something there before you start putting a bunch of money into it. Uh, unless you have a, a really big money machine, one that's way bigger than ours, that you can just keep cranking out the funds to keep pushing something that, that you believe can, can change an industry or change the world. Uh, so so th those are some really big lessons that have stuck with us. And, and, and I know that we've, we've avoided some future failures that we probably would have failed at uh, if we didn't have those lessons. And it's also pushed us to make better decisions and be successful in other areas of our business. So. Great lessons, super expensive lessons, but usually, usually the good lessons are the more expensive ones. <laughs> it isn't, isn't that the truth? And, <laughs> and, and, and on that theme, do you think maybe, Iggy, there are some common myths right now circulating in business journalism or in business circles, uh, common myths about leadership? Uh, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, that's a that's an interesting one. One one that one that jumps to mind is uh, is fail fast, and uh, you know even even though you you try to, I, I think I think a lot of people struggle with that one and and are not good at failing fast. And maybe maybe you don't need to be good at failing fast. Um, I think I think whenever we've failed, we've failed thoughtfully. <laughs> And then really, and really thought about why we failed. So I, I don't know if the speed of failure is, is as important as really making sure that you really think about why you failed and really analyze it so that you don't fail again. I mean, if, if you fail fast, but don't really learn the lesson and fail fast again and fail fast again, that's, that's not the ideal. I think it's fail thoughtfully versus failing fast. And with and keeping with that theme, how has leadership, in your view, changed since the pandemic? Uh, you, you know what? It. I don't think it's changed that much. Um, all the all the things that we that, that myself and our management team really cared about before, I think, are still there. They're they're a little bit different, but we always cared about safety. I, mean, I think most companies have safety as a core value. And, and for us, the actual core value is safety, no shortcuts. So we've invested heavily like every company has in all the safety protocols. And, but, but other than that, things haven't really changed that much. The, the, the core of the business is the same. We still want to provide exceptional service for customers. We want to take care of our people. We want to do it in a socially responsible way. This is just, it's just another challenge. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a trickier challenge because it comes with some additional safety concerns, but it's really, it's a, it's a downturn that, that has some, some safety elements to it. So I, don't, I, don't, I actually don't think much has changed. We're, we're attacking it like every other challenge that we've attacked and just trying to be thoughtful of, a, of, our, of our people, making sure that we're communicating with them as much as we possibly can so that they're not left in the dark and, uh, and uh, I do think that's one of the things that we've done reasonably well over the pandemic is just communicating with our people. Um, our, our marketing department wanted me to start doing videos for our people, which, you know, I, I wasn't that interested in doing <laughs> really. Um, but they, they said, you know what, 
I sent out a weekly email. I called it Good News Friday, and I would send that out to our staff. And I've been sending those out for five years, never missed a Friday. And they said, why don't you put them in video format? Not everyone likes emails. Maybe try a different format. And so I said, sure. Um, and then I, that was happening right as this pandemic was unfolding. So, so I actually started to send out a three times a week video to our people, just letting them know what was going on, especially when things were really crazy. Uh, we, we've toned it down to twice a week now, but just giving them little bits of information, saying, okay, we're, as we were, as, as people were getting sent home, I think it was really valuable when people, when everyone was at home getting, a, getting two or three little video links um, from me along with a write-up on what was going on, I think was really important just to give them the comfort that, hey, we're, we're still here, we're in business, we're doing things, customers are still ordering things, and giving them little bits of health information. I, th I think that was really, um, really helpful. And so maybe the one thing that this pandemic really did do is it, is it confirmed how important communication is uh, with your people and that you really can't over communicate, especially during a weird time like this. That is uh, very, very well said. And uh, it, it takes us um, in, it's a nice segue, Iggy, into what, is the more up close and personal part of our podcast. So uh, now that you're on video for the whole world to see, uh, tell us a little bit about what are you curious about right now? So for example, what books are uh, on your night table? What books are on my night table right now? Uh, I've, I've usually got a few going uh, for, for business kind of reading. Uh, I'm currently reading two books. Uh, one's called The Leadership Advantage. Our, our whole management team is reading that one, and it's just a it's, it's a it's a kind of a culture and accountability book. That one's great. And then uh, another one that we're reading is called uh, 4DX, the Four Disciplines of Execution, uh, and that one's just about how to focus on your wildly important goals. And our our whole management team is reading that one as well. So those are those are the those are the business ones. I'm we're, we're kind of focused on, on just dialing our execution in a little bit better and how to focus all of our teams on their specific goals that lead us to achieving bigger goals. Uh, so, so those are the business ones that I'm, that I'm interested in. Uh, I'm, I'm not a huge history buff, but I like some history. And so I was uh, uh, reading, a, reading a book that I just finished up on the Russian oligarchs and how they all came to power and how they took control of the different businesses in Russia, which I found fascinating. So that was the second one that I, that I read on that. And, uh, and then kind of on the, on the personal development one, uh, I'm actually reading uh, some articles and working with a, with a coach on dreaming. And uh, that's a, you know that's that's a whole area of your of your life that you usually don't think about, and it can actually be used to your advantage. You could use it to, uh, you can even use it to practice presentations in your in your dreams. It's a thing it's a thing that you can do that a lot of people do do, and so I'm just learning a little bit about that. So that's my stepping outside of my comfort zone and trying to learn something new. Box on a scale of one to ten, Iggy Domagalski, how weird are you? Isn't everyone a 10 in their own way? <laughs> I, I would give myself a, a seven on weirdness. I think that's a, that's, that's a pretty good weird score. Not too weird, but weird enough. And I, uh, I, we, we've had this conversation with my daughters. I think every kid gets called weird at some point 
in their in their life at school and our girls always say the same thing when they get weird when they get called weird they say thank you <laughs> right now what's top five on your playlist are we talking a Netflix playlist or a music playlist? Oh, either, either, or we we're, we're all curious. The world wants to know where does Iggy draw his sources of inspiration for this great culture at Tundra, whether it's audio or video. Um, well, I'm just going to talk about some fun ones. So on the, on the, on, on the music front, I like anything electronic or rock. And I just recently signed up for Spotify. So I got a bunch of good, uh, good playlists in there. One's called Summer Party, one's called um, uh, Electronic Workout, one's called Indie Pop Workout. Those are great just to, just to be a little bit, um, just, to, just to get out of your head. Uh, I've been listening to some uh, meditations on, on Spotify as well. There's some really great ones that you can do running or, or just or not running. Uh, and then I'm a documentary guy, so I'm, I'm currently watching the one on Michael Jordan. And then just for uh, just for the levity, I'm, I'm enjoying the Cobra Kai show, which is the which is the Karate Kid 35 years later. It's on Netflix and it's hilarious. And, and I've got to ask um, if you know you mentioned Michael Jordan, The Last Dance, and, and and Netflix, but if you could choose anyone to play you in your biopic, who would you choose? Oh man. Well, I, I don't think my movies would be exciting enough to have anyone play it. How about you, Gare? Could you could you play me? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> the host you. of this show. I'm not a legitimate bona fide Hollywood A-lister. I'll go with you. You got you got a great voice. You got a great presence. I'm I'm going with Gare Maxwell. Oh my goodness! <laughs> now that's way too much flattery for one podcast. But now we're going to turn it. And and are you familiar with the Lipton Pivo survey? I'm not, but I'm excited to learn. Okay, well, the Lipton Pivo survey is something we created to honor James Lipton, who was the great inter interviewer from inside the actor's studio, as well as the French journalist Bernard Pivot. So these are first response. You go with your automatic first instinct. Are you ready? Iggy, here we go. With I'm a ready. little sip of water, here he goes. Folks, for Iggy Domogalski, what is your favorite? word excellence what is your least favorite word can't what turns you on music what turns you off quitting what sound or noise do you love my daughter's voice what sound or noise do you hate Nails on a chalkboard. What is your favorite curse word? It starts with an F. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Musician. What profession under no circumstances would you never do? Teacher. I see what they go through with my kids. It looks really hard. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You can get in. And Iggy, when you think back to that 12-year-old entrepreneur who grew up 
in the entrepreneurial family, that kid who collected trading cards, who idolized the Winnipeg Jets of the Alexei Zhamnov thomas Steen era. What is your personal creed or motto? Ooh, am, am I telling myself my personal creed or motto? Well, it's one of those things, Iggy, where, you know, it, it would be the epitaph. It would be the thing your twin daughters would say, yep, this statement defined dad. I, I've disco discovered that almost everyone's got this like four to six word catchphrase that they just live their life by. So uh, in all sincerity and curiosity, what's yours? I would say it's work hard and play hard. Work hard, play hard, which in a lot of respects summarizes uh, where we began talking about Tundra, because really, in essence, Iggy, it sounds like that's what has translated in terms of a vision and the company that you've created there. Are there any final thoughts or parting words of advice that you can share that might help someone else uh, who's interested and sincerely curious about developing a world-class culture? I we read a lot of books as a team. And, uh, and so if, if, if I was starting at a new company and I, and I wanted to do this all over again, I would, I would get the management team together, have them read a bunch of books on culture, and then make sure that it's something that we just talk about every day. And, and, if, and, if, and if you do that, if you have some ideas on what you think it is and you talk about it every day and do little things every day, it'll come together. It's been said that readers are leaders, and that's certainly the case with Iggy Domikowski. Thanks so much for, uh, to Iggy for joining us today. And if you want to know more about Tech Canada and uh, its world-class programs, check out the website, www.techtec-canada.com. What was it that Iggy spoke of that made you uh, stop and think. I, I, I know for me, uh, one of my biggest takeaways was this idea about failing thoughtfully that at least uh, give some thought to the wisdom and the experience of the people that you're uh, surrounding yourself with. But what was yours? What was it that uh, Iggy said that made you stop and take notice? Uh, feel free to share your thoughts with me. My personal email is gair, G-A-I-R, at garemaxwell.com. And if you enjoyed the leadership standard, why, uh, by all means, feel free to share with others in your uh, online social networks. So yeah, the idea is like, subscribe and share so that we uh, just might inspire someone else to grab hold of the clutch, kick it up a gear and go full throttle in this new frontier. So on behalf of everyone at Tech Canada, thanks so much for joining us here at the leadership standard.